Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back to another episode of Slay House Presents. I'm your host, Trevor. With me today is another very special guest. Katrina Monroe is the author of They Drown Our Daughters and Graveyard of Lost Children. Her third novel, Through the Midnight Door, is expected in spring 2024. A private investigator by day, she is an active HWA member and holds an AFA in creative writing from Anoka Ramsey Community College. She lives in Minneapolis with her wife, two kids, and Eddie, the ghost that haunts their bedroom closets. That's me. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show with me today. Yeah, for sure. You have a terrific radio voice. I'm jealous. Ah, uh, well, thank you. I think it's because I practice in the shower just like a lot. <laughs> I mean, there's one place to do it. <laughs> Acoustics. <laughs> Back, uh, I, I don't know, uh, like I was never a theater kid, but I think I wanted to be a theater kid. And so mm-hmm. um, I... I spent a lot of time, you know, like watching cartoons and like reading comic books and narrating themselves like to myself. Yeah. Um, and and then I started playing Dungeons and Dragons with a bunch of friends. And mm-hmm. that was kind of like the moment. It's like you can really be the weirdo self that you are and do oh, all yeah. the stupid voices and stuff. Um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um I want to talk to you about Graveyard of Lost Children today, but before I do that, I I have to know everything there is to know about this uh, ghost, Eddie, that haunts your bedroom closets. Yeah, so Eddie first joined us in our apartment that we lived in before we bought our house a couple years ago. Um, it, it It would be little things, like little things missing or moving around, or our kids were very small and they would insist that there was someone in the closet as children are wont to do. And we kind of just dismissed it. But then we moved into our new house and Eddie seemed to come with us. And Eddie is very uh, energy conscious when it comes to me. I have a really bad habit of if I leave my office, even if I'm physically leaving the house, I leave my office light on just (laughs) because. But when I come home, it's off every time. So I mean, good on Eddie. He's like, uh, not only is he a a ghost, but like, you know, he protects your financial future. Yes, a hundred percent. And you know, it's we talk to him sometimes, and I, I I do my my little you know smudging every once in a while when he's starting to get a little ruckusy, and then it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love stories of like personal ghosts. Um, you know, the the kind that just like kind of follow you around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really fascinating how people you know like build these relationships with you know the ghosts that uh, follow them around i whether it be like joan rivers's story about you know ghosts or mm-hmm. um i had a girlfriend in in high school who insisted uh that there was like this gray lady uh who lived in her house and would come in and like wake her up every morning before her alarm by like shaking the bed um, because she was like really insistent that she get on with her day. That's terrifying. Oh my God. I mean, I guess if it's your own ghost and that's the only thing they do is they wake you up like you're wasting daylight. I mean, I, 
I don't know. <laughs> the thought of it is just very scary. <laughs> I mean, I guess there there it, there could be something really terrifying about that. Yeah. Um, but she she made it sound like no, this is just a thing that happens, and um, oh, yes. <laughs> and like the whole family had just gotten used to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's no different from like, I mean, we'll all be sitting in like the living room watching TV or whatever and the cat is in the living room with us so we know it's not her and we hear thumping coming from my son's bedroom upstairs and we all look up like quiet eddie and it's fine <laughs> <laughs> um the weird house noises are definitely uh, like those are the things that that do actually get to me um we we kate and i bought a house we, we just moved into this house um a couple of years ago and there's like sounds above our our bedroom all the time and i you know i think that's where like the the heater kind of sits you know like the, the yeah. hvac unit or whatever um but i i made one joke to her just one time i was like oh it's it's just the hobo who lives up there and uh <laughs> and now she like she'll hear the the noise and she'll actually insist she's like you have to go check like i don't want a hobo living up in the the crawl space <laughs> oh no well i mean you have no one to blame for by yourself, I guess. Yeah, I definitely did that to myself. Um, I, I should have just kept my mouth shut and been like, it's just the HVAC unit instead of, you know, like a creepy dude. Right. And now <laughs> I'm afraid of going up into that crawl space like that. Like I've also just I've manifested for myself some danger. You have. <laughs> well, just make friends with it. It'll be fine. Make friends with it. <laughs> <laughs> just slip him like a 20 every once in a while yeah just like here here buy yourself some booze go to sleep yeah <laughs> bye so i, I want to explore just a little bit with you some of your like origin story as a writer because you've got um two books out now you've got a third on the way you're crafting a fourth one um so how did this journey begin for you I mean, I guess it depends on where you say the beginning is like my, er my earliest memory of writing anything um, was when I was maybe, I want to say like nine or 10. And I was writing the, the story about um, a, a leprechaun who comes and rescues a little girl from her house and takes her on all these like wild adventures. Very, very reminiscent of like um, the Fairyland series by Catherine Valenti, where she just kind of like fucks off. <laughs> <laughs> to like magic and wonder and my I remember it only because my babysitter Maria at the time was she would read it and she would show me how to use quotation marks around dialogue and she would like she would help me write it instead of you know just oh that's nice or you know oh that's silly she would be like well you're supposed to use quotation marks here and you should put a period there and she was like helping me develop it I guess and then I didn't really um want to write anything until like I didn't think I could write any like books or anything like that until and go ahead and laugh because everyone does so when <laughs> Twilight books came out um I was a rabid fan <laughs> for a very very short time like I was it was horrifying to think about and the first <laughs> book I ever wrote the first book I ever wrote was a blatant ripoff of twilight like absolutely <laughs> scene for scene absolute fucking ripoff but writing that book helped me understand like how story works in a novel length like the the beats of story 
Um, so I would just write little things and read a lot. And then I decided that I wanted to, you know, write books that maybe I could. And I went through the whole, you know, process of writing horrible books and sending them out to agents thinking I was hot shit only <laughs> to get told you definitely are not. <laughs> and, um, I credit a lot of, um, my drive and my, my thought that I could get better to, um, a woman named Renee Miller. Um, we don't talk very much anymore, which is kind of a shame. And that's mostly my fault. Um, but we were in a writing group together and she was the only person I'd ever met who had like the, the balls and also the kindness to read something I wrote, tell me how much it sucked. And then also tell me how to <laughs> fix it and how, how she, she, she believed I could fix it and she mm. showed me how to fix it. And it's because of her that I'm like, okay, well, this sucks right now, but it'll get better. And it's just been book after book after book since then. I don't, I don't like when I don't have something to work on. That's incredible. Um, I want to cycle back to, to Twilight because, um, <laughs> I mean, what a cultural moment. Uh, I, I was one of those, like, I was not super into the books. Um, I'm sorry, but, but book two broke me. Like I just... I can't, I can't deal with this. Like Bella on her motorcycle driving too fast so that she can hear Edward. And I'm just like, girl, just get some therapy, please. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And like, I, um, I, I think I really liked it when it first came out because I, I had no, um, I just liked it for what it was. I didn't understand mm -hmm. that the writing was I'm, I'm not going to say, I'm not even going to say it's bad. It's just, it's not, um, it's not what I would like anymore, I guess. Like, I, I feel bad bashing on any books because like, it's, it's like a kink that way where you can't yuck someone's <laughs> yum. Like someone's going to like it and that's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's laughing all the way to the bank. She made an incredible amount of money on those books and movies because she knew her audience and that was super cool. But now thinking back on it, I can't think about Twilight without thinking about um, the millions of ways that she described his eyes, how they were like scorching and burning and fiery and all of these like, like get a cream or something. I don't know. It was just <laughs> That's all I can think about now. And I think it's because um, I have developed so much as a writer since then mm. and had so many like bad habits pounded out of me that I'm like, okay, it's not fair that I had to get this pounded out of me, but you're just making money off of it. That's not, that's not, <laughs> not happy. Yeah. There, there was just something about that second book. I was like, this, this feels way too long. I'm, I'm not here for it. Um, and I, I just like dropped out. I never read the third one, never read the fourth one or whatever. Like I just, I was just like, I'm done with this. I can't, I can't anymore. But I went to every single one of those movies and I went like, I was like that weirdo who was like, um, I'm not going to go opening night because that would be, that would be too much, but I'm going right. to go opening weekend. I'm going to pick the showing where like nobody's there. I'm going to mm -hmm. watch these movies and I watched all four of them in secret without telling anyone that I was going to go see them uh, <laughs> because they, they were like, they were absolutely my guilty pleasure. Like <laughs> watching those movies, guilty pleasure. Yeah. And see, that's, that's kind of what I mean though. It's, it's, there's, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a thing. Like I enjoy lots of terrible things. Like some <laughs> of the stupid, like old um, Simon Pegg spoof movies, like uh, Shaun of the Dead. 
Love it. I will watch it every day of the week. It's one of my favorites, but some people will be like, well, that's really, that's really dumb. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> I love it. I, mine is uh hot fuzz for some yeah, reason. That's a good one. That movie is like buried deep in my brain. It's I've like, I go to it all the time and my wife can't stand it. She's just like, I don't understand why this is funny. I'm like, well, develop a better sense of humor, I guess. I just, I, I think of them as like elevated dick and fart jokes where it's, it's British. <laughs> so it's, it feels a little more refined even if it's not. Um, so it's, you know, and the, the humor is dry, which I appreciate. It's, you know, I, I don't know. I like them. Yeah. They, they work, but for, mm-hmm. for sure they work. Yeah. Um, I have to praise your craft a little bit. Cause I know you, you kind of brought up, like I've grown as a writer, um, I loved Graveyard of Lost Children. Um, and I think what hooked me into the book so hard was um, a lot of your craft and and a lot of like your prose is is really good. Um, so I, I want to kind of explore with you just a little bit, you know, what were some of the things that you really learned and, and had to kind of internalize as you continued to develop as a writer? I don't know that I learned, gosh, I don't even, I don't even know how to say what I learned. It's, I, I learned by reading a lot. Um, I, it took me a really long time to find my style and I, I discovered that it's not your typical, um, horror novel style. Like I'm not, I'm not super punchy. I'm not super graphic. I'm not any of those things. I I am a sucker for an allegory. They're my favorite thing in the whole world. So if I can say it with a metaphor, I'm gonna. Um, <laughs> but I think that is a result of a lot of the fiction that I was drawn to when I was learning how to write um, was literary fiction. And I don't necessarily think that it's better than any other type of fiction, like horror and mystery thrillers. Those will have my heart until I die. They're my always my go-tos when I want something really fun and exciting and good to read. But sometimes there's just, it's, I read a lot of A.M. Holmes and she is not, there's not a whole lot going on in the way of plot in her books. Mm. It's all character study. And I find that hugely fascinating. And I think that, spending a lot of time with character um helped me develop into into the way that I write I like to spend a lot of time with with character and their internal thoughts and um mm. their their motivations and that kind of comes out a little bit so my action is you know it's quick <laughs> it's speedy and then it's done <laughs> because I want to get back to the people the people are what um are important so I think um my style kind of developed out of that I think yeah as a as a reader um i'm all about allegorical readings like that that fires me up um because i'm i'm always looking for like how do i i don't know how do i explain this really (laughs) difficult concept to someone um how do we have a conversation here and so much of of who i am is is like built around media it's it's the 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 kind of language that I communicate through so if I can share a book with someone that's kind of like how I want to open a conversation with them about something I'm like you know read this book and then I like I want to talk about what it's doing um so like allegorical readings are are really important to me uh Mm -hmm. because I'm I'm like even the stuff that's not supposed to be allegorical like I can't help myself 
<laughs> from being like, all right, what is this really implying? What is this exploring about the human yeah. condition? That's mm -hmm. what makes it good to me, you know, is the ability to assess our human condition and talk about it. And boy, howdy, is there a book that I just read recently? Uh, that book, by the way, is, is Graveyard of Lost Children, if, if I'm not being clear. No, I, I got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you assess, I mean, of some very difficult topics in this book. Um, and I, I kind of want, before we dive into it, to to have you just kind of give us a little bit of like a, maybe not a summary, but like a, you know, a synopsis of what Graveyard of Lost Children is for the audience members who maybe have not uh, uh, read this book yet. Sure. Yeah. So Graveyard of Lost Children is about a woman who, when she was baby, was almost murdered by her mother because her mother thought she was a changeling. Um, and now the woman, Olivia, is she's just given birth to her first daughter and she is supposed to be feeling all of these excited feelings. But all she feels is terrified and inadequate and, and separate from herself. And it's a very difficult thing for her. But she's she's trying to overcome it because she does not want to be her mother's daughter. Um but of course we wouldn't have a story unless she was. So she, um, she starts to, uh, you know, see things in her daughter that her mother saw in her. And she's wondering if maybe history is repeating itself a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's so much to unpack in this book. Um, starting with, I think motherhood, like that was kind of the big, um, like call it the human theme that this book really explores is like, the difficulty of motherhood um, and really kind of grappling with the immensity of this new role as it's kind of thrust on a person um, and, and just like the, you know, kind of the weight of self-doubt um, you know, the, the, the weight of, of someone else's need, you know, on, on you. Um, so I kind of want to open the floor a little bit to, to, talk to you about like what were some of the themes that as you were writing this book really stood out to you that you absolutely wanted to explore um so the one that was that kept coming up that I didn't necessarily try to include but it was just a, a byproduct an, an inevitable byproduct is the feelings of inadequacy um I, I really wanted it to be I set out to write a story about a changeling and the mm -hmm. I started out with you know what what happens if um, the changeling never gets exchanged. What if she grows up? What if she has a baby? And I just, I, I wanted to write this very, you know, supernatural based story. And then it turned into basically a trauma dump for me. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I gave birth the first time when I was 19. So I was looking back at pictures. I'm like, Jesus, you were a baby. That was a baby <laughs> having a baby. That was horrible. Um, but I, I remember being handed my daughter and going, uh, now what, what am I supposed to do now? Like I, there's no handbook. There's, I, I felt no like immediate mother's intuition. I was terrified all the time. I was just scared. And I, my, my, my life was over as far as I was concerned. It was, there was nothing magical about giving birth to me or having a child to me. Um, that has since changed. My daughter is the light of my life. But <laughs> in the beginning, when I was when I was too young to even understand who I was as a person, um, it was taken away from me to know who I was. I, I had no idea. And so a lot of that 
um, was poured into Olivia that even though she had been established by the time she, you know, had her child, she was an adult. This was planned. This was, you know, a thing that she wanted. Um, she didn't understand how much it was going to change her and how terrifying that was going to be and how, uh, unprepared she was going to feel for it. So it was, it was important to me that that came across. I, this is such an important dialogue. Um, I, I'm, I'm one of those people who's like, uh, my, my wife and I very studiously, like we don't want to have children. Um, and it's, it's not a thing like, oh, we just hate the future, you know, <laughs> or like we yes. hate, you know, further <laughs> gen future generations. Um, but I see, this is just, I, I've dealt with a lot of mental illness through my life. Um, my wife has dealt with a lot of mental illness through hers. Um, I'm also constantly preoccupied about like the economic situation of the future and like, right. like really what am I doing to a child by bringing them into the world? Like I have a tremendous, like kind of like moral crisis about the, the, the burden that I essentially be bestowing upon a child. Right. Um, but I also think about like, like quite selfishly, you know, the, the, gosh, the the burden of trying to raise a child, because I know that there are wonderful things um, about raising a, a child. Um, my siblings both have children now, and I absolutely love my niece and nephew. Um, I wouldn't trade them for anything, right? But I also think that they're like, it presents an inflexibility. And I think if you're not ready to take on that burden, it's it's terrifying and it's so difficult. And I feel like our society does not have enough of a conversation about the realities of what child rearing really takes. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's always depicted to us in like these kind of miraculous terms. And it's like, we see these mothers who are struggling, but then they're always like, oh, but my child's like so so important and they're really the miracle of 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 life and it's like yeah but girl you struggling <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah yeah no 100 and i i feel like that is not something that i learned until i was probably 30 that i can't give my children any kind of decent quality of life if i am floundering all the time if i'm constantly in survival mode if i'm not taking care of myself at all so it took a lot of years and it took a really supportive wife for me to understand that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not just a mom. <laughs> I am other things too. <laughs> How do you rebuild that sense of identity for yourself? Because I, I think there is this, um, I, I don't know, like this weird identity shift that happens. You have a kid and then it's like so much of everything you do is poured into this kid. It, it can, really dominate i think a lot of of your your activity a lot of your like, cognitive load you know yeah. how do you how do you either preserve yourself in the process or reconstruct that identity for yourself going forward yeah um i don't know the answer to that uh for me it was <laughs> for me it was it's it's been writing 100% i i was thinking recently about um, that I don't necessarily feel like, because I'm, it's related to the book I'm writing now, I feel personally that I don't belong 
um, to any social culture. I feel very other, very outside of, you know, I, I'm a lesbian, but I don't really feel like one in the sense that I didn't have the same, like, coming out experience or the same, um, you know, growing up with my friends who are also queer experience or like the partying in my 20s experience. So I don't feel part of that culture. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm all of these things, but I'm not part of it. And the only thing I've ever felt 100% part of um, is motherhood culture. And even that's a little weird sometimes because my experience is so different. Um, but joining the writing social culture, I guess, has been really helpful because then, um, you know, I'm, I, I leave the house and I go to, you know, things like StokerCon and I get to just be me. I get to just be Katrina, the writer, not necessarily, you know, Katrina, the mom or the wife or, or whatever. I'm just myself. And that's one of the reasons why I kept my maiden name as my, um, as my pen name, because I wanted that separation. Um, so that when I'm a writer, I'm, I'm just that. And then when I come home, I am, I'm mom, I'm wife, I'm everything else that I need to be. Um, so I think having that thing that is just yours and it really, mm. it sounds bad, but it helps that my wife is not a reader. Like she, I don't think she's read one of my books, which is fine. <laughs> it's, you know what, it's probably for the best because there are some of our fights that are in these books almost <laughs> verbatim. <laughs> so she, Oof. she needs to not. When um, when they drown our daughters came out, um, the dedication to that is for my mother, and it's I it, for anyone who has not read it, it's about um, a, a several generations of women of mothers um, who are lured into the ocean and either drowned or maimed. It's about you know motherhood abandonment. It's about um, what it means to be uh, a mom, how you have to sacrifice for yourself. It's a very it's a running thing for me. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my sister. <laughs> when she got her copy of the book called me and said, why did you do this? Like giving the dedication <laughs> to my mom, because I was like, no, 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 she won't understand. She won't get it. It's fine. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> she was like, no, you don't understand. She's going to be so mad. And she was not. She, she called me and she was like, I'm just so happy that, you know, it was, it's, you dedicated it to me. It means you love me. I'm like, well, yes, I love you you but it's also dedicated to you because if you had not traumatized me in the way that you did this book would not exist so thanks mom <laughs> but I I think I think writing personal fiction and encouraging family to read it especially family that may not know you as well as they do or as they should um it gives them an opportunity to do that without mm. you having to try to explain your feelings um and I think that is that is the power of, of really good, really deep fiction. It, yeah. will, it will do that. So. Oh, I, I totally agree. And, and I mean, uh, in a way, I feel like that kind of powerful fiction um, helps not just the writer, but, you know, like the reader. Um, I think of books like, gosh, uh, Such Sharp Teeth by Rachel Harrison. And, oh, and like, God. <laughs> just an absolutely gobsmackingly gorgeous, beautiful book um that yeah she's really up. good at like slapping you with hard stuff without it's realizing you're so, getting slapped and she's <laughs> so good and and I think it's it too like she she helps by you know kind of cutting it with a lot of humor to to mm -hmm. try to kind of make it relatable but she opens up doors you know for people to be like I've had this experience and mm -hmm. like 
you know, to, to, to really connect with that and reflect right. on the, the way that um, they've had to handle this same stuff like that, mm-hmm. that moment of empathy is so um, just, just like both invigorating and, and like freeing because mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, I'm not just alone in this experience. Um, I recognize those same elements in, in myself or my experience. Um, or if you, even if you haven't had those experiences, it's mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I, without turning this into like a, a Rachel Harrison Stan episode, I, I am really, really, really looking forward to uh, her next book. Um, his Black Sheep, I think is called. Um, I'm jealous of anyone who has read it. So if anyone has an arc that they have read and they, they want to send to me, call me, DM me something. I'm like ravenous. So um, I kind of wanted to to revisit some of the other you know kind of major themes of um graveyard of lost children because i mean there's so much work being done in here i one of the things that i um really loved was kind of this battle i think for authority um with olivia and shannon as it it kind of pertains to the way that they view their bodies or view their authority um, you know, kind of in their lives. I think we live in a culture that, you know, frankly, does not really value women's authority, you know, over their own lives. And I think motherhood is just one small piece of the way their authority can kind of get lost to the obligation to someone else. So what were some of your thoughts as you crafted um, this story and and how does that kind of play into, you know, addressing some of the problems our society has in the way they view women? Yeah. Um. So it's I can't. I'm trying to think of a way to <laughs> articulately uh talk about something that is very heavy and very difficult to talk about. Um. I guess I'll just kind of focus on Shannon specifically. Shannon has a lot of me in her. Um, she, she, like me had, you know, a child very young. Um, she had less than supportive parents. She had, you know, the, the dad wasn't really involved. That was her choice, but, um, she was, you know, going it alone at an age where, um, you're not necessarily prepared for that, but when you have a child, you're expected to be, um, you have this weird dichotomy where you're expected to be the the authority of the child's life. You are an adult now. You are a parent. That means you are responsible and you have all of these responsibilities that follow you. But also you're a mom and you're a woman. So you need guidance. You need direction. You, you couldn't possibly know how to, you have to have a man in your life. You have to have another parent in your life. You have to have someone to balance your decision-making because you are not capable of, of doing it on your own. Um, our society looks down heavily on single parents. And that is something that I find incredibly distressing because single parents, I think are the strongest of all of us because they not only are handling everything that has to do with their children alone, they are doing it in an environment where it is so difficult to um, number one, support yourself. And number two, 
have some kind of um, self-worth. And it's, you can't do that because all of your worth is poured into your child, poured into, you know, mm. surviving. Um, and I think a lot of that played out in the way Shannon thought that she kind of stepped over that line a little bit where she, she was hyper independent and, and hyper authoritative when it came to um, the way that she was going to raise her child. And because she was such an authority on her child, whenever something looked not right, she trusted herself and it's, it's hard because you want to root for her because you're like, yeah, you know, girl power, you know, your child better than anyone else, but also you might be a little bit insane. So maybe we should take a step back before you throw that child in the fire. Like, just hold on. <laughs> Hang on a second. Um, so it, it was, it was, I don't, it was hard to play with that, that dichotomy, but also it felt kind of empowering to do it. Um, mm. to have this character that wasn't necessarily, um, you know, she's not a bad guy, but she's not a good guy either. She's just a mm. person trying to, trying to do what is right based on the limited knowledge that she has. Yeah. I felt a lot of empathy for, for both Shannon and Olivia. Um, even in the moments when I think Shannon was like most, uh, I mean, call her, I don't want to call her monstrous. Um, but, but probably like the most what's it what's a good word um i don't know <laughs> i i mean maybe maybe just like most unhinged i like i mean that's good yeah the, yeah just the the moments when she really just veers kind of off into the woods and it, it, it's like girl come back like you know like <laughs> Like you, you, yeah. you can handle this or, or there's a better way to handle this, you know, but, but she kind of goes off on her own path and, and it's, it's destructive. Um, yeah. But even in her most destructive moments, I felt a deep and searing empathy for her because, you know, she, she really is just kind of lost in the weeds of, of her own problems. And mm -hmm. those problems are exacerbated by all of the other many people who kind of just heap on her shame or um just like a a, a distrust or a mistrust right mm -hmm. um a judgment about some of the decisions that she's made and there's mm -hmm. very little empathy for her from any character um for for what she's going through you know it's yeah and and i think too there's this whole theme throughout the book of like this is every woman's journey <laughs> you know mm -hmm. like so many of the other women in her life see the same struggles or have the same struggles but they mm -hmm. don't have respect for shannon for not handling them their way right was that something right. that, that you kind of like consciously went through yourself or or explored um i I, I think it was one of those unconscious things that just kind of happens when you're writing and you know your mm. characters and they're just, they're behaving in the way that you expect them to. Um, generational trauma is a thing that comes out a lot in the things that I write. And I think that was part of it that, um, you know, in the case of Shannon, her her mom went through the same thing or a similar a, a similar experience where, where it comes to the black haired woman and she handled it in a way that worked for her. And so she knows, she knows what works. And so she gets very frustrated with her child who will not do as she says, who will not behave in the way that she says, because she knows it works. And it's, 
it's one of those things that you get really angry when you're reading it. I hope because you're, you're like, well, you know, Shannon's not you, she has to figure it out for herself. But then also reading it as a parent, I would hope you would go, actually, I can see that because it's, it's the do as I say, not as I do kind of situation. I, I, you know, especially being the parent of teenagers, I'm always like, just trust me. You have to do it this way. This is the way it works. Trust me. It works. But I can say it till I'm blue in the face. They have to figure it out for themselves and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes like pain is part of the learning process. Um, I hate saying that because I don't ever want anyone to go through, (laughs) you know, go through pain. Um, But, but like I was a, I was a a fucking angsty teenager. Um, Mm -hmm. My mother loves to throw back at me anytime I get like even a little bit stubborn um, there was this, this time when she wanted to take the family out. She wanted me to go outside and get some fresh air because, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm a homebody. I would just, yeah, I'll stay in these four, four walls, you know, and, until I die. Um, but she wanted to go outside and, and she said, come on, let's go get some air. And I said, I hate air. <laughs> And so she, yeah. she throws that back at me all the time. And my <laughs> siblings would make fun of me constantly for, for like, Oh, here comes Trevor. I hate air. Um, yeah. and, uh, and it, it's only been recently when <laughs> my sister is raising her kids and she's like, I fucking get it. Like I get that. I hate <laughs> air. Like, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. It's just one of those things. Like I'm still that way where uh, the way kids are that they, you know, you, you can tell them to do something, but until they understand for themselves why they won't, it yeah. won't matter. It won't click. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, like I had to go through a very painful, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, adolescent into young adulthood, uh, make a lot of fucking terrible decisions. And then, mm-hmm you know, have to work through those decisions and, and really figure out, you know, how do I rectify this situation yeah. before I can get to a space where like, all right, I know how to handle that. Now. Um, yeah. but I yeah. didn't then, and anything, sometimes you're just fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I'm still a little bit immature that way where I I'm told to do something and I'm like, but why <laughs> I need the why. <laughs> Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, gosh, there's just so much I want I want to unpack in this book, um, <laughs> and and it, it's it's hard to like wrap my whole head around it because it's it does so much so beautifully. Um, there were so many conversations that uh, my my summer intern Eva she couldn't be here today. She was very sad because she loves this book. Awesome, um, I'm glad. Yeah, but but you know, we we just like our our conversations, even as we were reading, we were texting each other, it's just being like <laughs> WTF, like how do we how do we deal with this? It's it's in some ways so heavy. Um, maybe the the black haired woman, um, you know, kind of talking about her as allegory. Mm-hmm. When did you really come up with the, the central allegory as you were writing, like, did you know what the black haired woman was going to be? Or was that just through process of discovery, you kind of came to this conclusion of, of what she would kind of essentially allegorize for the characters? Um, no, her, her is probably the only thing that I knew 
straight from the beginning um, because I, I needed, from a technical standpoint, I needed something to tie these women together, mm. not just Olivia and Shannon, but also um, Shannon's mother and Angela and Angela's mother and just all of these women who have this thing that, you know, speaks to them or exists inside of them. And um, they don't necessarily know that they're tied together that way, but she's there and she exists and you can't get rid of her. And it was really important to me that, um, that she be a tangible, a tangible thing in the story that it wasn't just, you know, she, you know, they have visions of her in the, in the mirror or whatever, you know, kind of tropey thing I could have done. Um, although I did do that once, but it was a good one. It was a good scene. It was, uh, oh yeah. It, it, like superb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to make sure that she also existed in the real world for people. Like when, when Shannon goes to Bethany house and you know, there's a woman there who she's like, oh yeah, I know all about her. Like she's, you know, we're, we're buds <laughs> more or less. And I, I wanted her to, it's, it's hard to talk about her without getting super spoilery. But I, I just, I wanted her to be real yeah. because for, um, and I, I, I'm really sad because I feel like it's lost on, on some readers based on some of the feedback I've, I've gotten, but I, I feel like it's lost on readers that the reason why, um, I portrayed postpartum depression this way as a, as a, a tangible, um, woman or as a supernatural entity, um, was because the idea of the supernatural, I think as a society, we are, we are terrified of because we don't know what to do against it. There are, there's no like pill we can take. There's no, um, there's nobody we can talk to. Like it's watch any like, you know, haunting movie and you have to either go find a specialist. And even then, you know, the house is clear, but it's really not. And it's just, it's a really terrifying, you know, personal thing. And I, I wanted to, to portray that in a way that people who had not experienced postpartum depression can understand that that's what it feels like. It feels like there is this creature living inside of you or this voice in your ear that is telling you how horrible you are, that yeah. telling you all of the awful, horrible things that could happen to your child. And it's going to be your fault that you are a terrible yeah. human. You're a terrible mother. You, you can't, how, how dare you try to, you know, be anything but and it's you can't get rid of it you just have to learn learn to get through it or learn to live with it and um you know I think that hopefully that came through sort of in the end again without getting spoilery that it's just it's just there so um yeah I think it comes through so well I mean I've never had uh postpartum depression because you know <laughs> obvious reasons um I've had depression though. <laughs> yeah. And I can tell you that uh, there were so many moments when, you know, I'm not even a mother, but I'm like, oh boy, I'm like, I hear that. <laughs> I, I hear that same voice. I, gra I grapple with that same voice. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that is one of the things that stood out for me so viscerally. And, and it's so intelligent because it gives your character some something to like literally grapple with, like literally yeah. have to wrestle <laughs> that that presence. Right. Um, and 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 so it was it's it's beautifully done. I mean, it, like, seriously, okay. it's it's so great. Um, so as we're kind of wrapping up, 
tell me a little bit more about Through the Midnight Door and, um, you know, like what we can be hyped to explore with you come spring 2024. Yeah. So this one um, I've been describing kind of as my love song to sisters. Uh, I have two sisters, both of, with, both of which I am very close with, much closer than when we were kids. There's a six year difference between them. They're twins. So they had built in best friends and wanted nothing to do with me until <laughs> um, until I had a car and I could take them places. Um, but we've, <laughs> as adults, as adults, we've grown much closer. I, I call um, my sister Allison for everything and anything. And it's, it's really great. And so I wanted to write something that kind of demonstrated that bond and, and, and what it means to me personally. Um, it's about these, uh, sisters who live in a town, um, called Blacklick. That's kind of based on Gary, Indiana. And, um, they spend their childhoods, you know, really close. They're exploring all of these like abandoned properties as you do, because you know it's the, the nineties and you're just trying to, you know, exist as a kid go outside drinking the hose that kind of thing um <laughs> but they um they come upon this house that um has a hallway of doors that shouldn't exist and keys that appear only for them um and so each girl has her own key and she goes into her room alone and she experiences something really horrifying and when she comes out the other side she is completely changed all of them are changed individually and it forces them to kind of separate. They're not as, they're not close anymore. And then um, in the present, they are, one of them dies in that house where the, the doors and the keys were. And the two remaining sisters are convinced that it has something to do with what they saw all those years ago. And so um, they are trying to figure out exactly what happened with their youngest sister and grapple with their, you know, already fraught relationship and trying to get that closeness back um, while this horrible thing is just sort of chasing them down. There's this darkness that is invading their lives. Um, and it's just, it's about trying to find yourself and find your siblings on the other side of something really awful. Mm. Um, so a lot of, a lot of sad girl vibes. Um, but I also, I'm, I'm really, really proud of it. I, I think it's going to be, um, or it is, you know, it's, it's the book of my heart. I really think so. I, I simply can't wait. Um, I, I, I'm a super fan now. Um, yeah. so like I, I, I'm absolutely there. I can't wait for that to come out. So where can listeners find more of you, you know, in the, in the internet and to keep up with, um, some of your upcoming projects? Um, so I'm on Twitter until the walls come crumbling down, which I feel like is going to be very soon. <laughs> Um, it is author cat M there. And then, um, I believe I'm Katrina Monroe author on Instagram. I'm also on threads now just as a backup for when <laughs> Twitter goes down. Um, otherwise I do have my website that is not updated very often. And I get yelled at about that, but it is, um, Katrina Monroe.com. I it's my, all my buy links are there. So that's, excuse me. That's all that's important. <laughs> okay. Well, Thank you so much for this conversation today. Um, this has been absolutely wonderful to have you on the show. I hope you'll come back in the spring. Yeah, for sure. All right. Awesome. I love that.